1: A warm welcome to our audience. My name is Willem Klopper. I am your host, and this episode is part two of a conversation in which we are discussing some of the most commonly made mistakes in plumbing work, as well as some of the most common non-compliances found by auditors. The objective of this conversation is to create greater awareness of these common fails with the hope that these mistakes and non-compliances will significantly be reduced or be alleviated altogether. Now, with me in studio, I have my three guests, Ms. Lorraine Moy, Mr. Steve Brown, and Mr. Mahen Supersad. Just before we give our guests the opportunity to introduce themselves, let's hit the brakes. We'd like to remind our audience that this episode is proudly brought to you by Articulate Ed Plummer. So, just before I fire away with all the other questions that I have for my guests, um, I would just t- uh, like to ask each one of them to just very briefly introduce themselves to the audience. Uh, Lorraine, if we can start with you.
0: Um, hello, Willem. Uh, hello, audience. I am Lorraine Moy. I'm a compliance auditor and I'm the relationship manager at
1: IOPSA. Mahin, if you would like to introduce yourself to the audience,
2: please. Thank you, Willem. I'm Mahin
3: Supersad, also a compliance auditor.
1: And uh, Steve.
3: Uh, Hi, Steve Brown, Operations Manager of the Institute of Plumbing, and uh, I uh, have the function of uh, looking after all our auditors throughout the country.
1: Steve, so this being the second part of our discussion or conversation around commonly made mistakes uh, that plumbers make and uh, or common fails that auditors find on plumbing work that they audit... Um, can you just remind the audience, please, where where did the idea for for having this kind con- conversation originate from?
3: So, of, um we were. I was requested to uh, assist and 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 conduct a, a webinar for the Free State region, and uh, there have been a couple of challenges being brought up uh, within the Free State, um, of which we then decided to approach the compliance auditors in the Free State. Uh, and again, Plumfontein, Kimberley and uh, Bethlehem. And we, we just had a, a roundabout chat in terms of uh, bringing some content together in terms of the common items that they find where the plum- plumbers have maybe not noted non-compliance or doing incorrectly. So on the basis of receiving all that information, we put it together. And we found these particular ones that we've been discussing in part one and obviously today of part two. And then we spread it out on a national basis, uh, bearing in mind I think we got about 42, 44 auditors, whatever the case may be. And we started cor- correlating information from there and actually found that this was common not only within the free state region but from a, a national sort of point of view. So therefore, um, again, we we put some training uh, webinars together, some training materials uh, in order to to better and bring to the attention of the plumbers out there and the installers of uh, these common uh, points that we find. And then obviously our goal and outcomes for this is to ensure that the, the standard of installation is better, the plumber uh, understands that these are points in what we look for. And, uh, again, uh, stopped going back to sites for refixes or having to explain why it wasn't noted in the first place. And, again, just protecting, you know, the consumer, the plumber, and ourselves. And I think that's really where we are today in terms of, of going through these points. There are more, you know, but, again, uh, these are the ones that we've just seen common and, and continuously happening. Um, and our, our hope is that we can possibly resolve this and assist the individuals in terms of uh, the installation criteria and uh, applying the relevant standards.
1: Steve, in our, in our first part of the conversation, in part one, uh, we discussed quite a few uh, points or areas uh, which are common common mistakes and, and common fails that auditors find. Um, and, and I have a list in front of me with uh, more examples and more uh, areas and aspects that, that plumbers make mistakes on. Looking at the list, uh, that at the top of the list, I see that uh, you know the discharges um, and the DBs uh, uh, that plumbers don't necessarily make those safe, and and if I look at the photograph, um, the example that is on the list. Um, you know i see a, a discharge pipe from the from the from the that leads from the dis, uh, the drip tray that is positioned right above an exit door of a residential home um you know that leaves me with the impression that you know should that uh, hot water uh, run out of that pipe and and a person needs to exit the house from that door they can walk right you know, into that hot water. Is that correct? Uh, is that one of the most commonly found mistakes?
3: Yeah, these are things that we see, you know, again, um, you know, I've had instances over my time with IOPSA, you know, where, where people have actually been scalded, you know, properties being damaged and everything else. And the standards are very clear in terms of how that pipe must discharge. It must discharge in a position, a position that is safe and that it cannot cause harm to personal property. So, you know, in that particular photo I wish our uh, our listeners could see the photos, but again that you know we we are not applying the principle of safety uh, and the consequences thereof. So, you quite correctly stated that, you know, anybody that was possibly positioned underneath that door, walking out there or whatever, um, if that teepee discharged or the tray uh, had uh, hot water coming out of it, um, yeah, the resultant damage to personal property could be quite severe. I had one in Durban a a good few years ago where the the discharge from the teepee was basically uh, in a sort of little courtyard area where people would sit and, uh, you know, have some coffee, tea and cake and a biscuit. And the TP discharged and it actually caught the husband on the shoulder. He got severely burnt. But the heat of that water actually took off the, the paint, and, you know, the stuck paint that was on there. So, that you know, we don't understand the severity of and the consequences of this. And this became a, a huge uh, uh Claim against the plumber, and uh, it went into newspapers. And again, it it, just if we had taken cognizance of where this pipe was, and 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 what could happen. You know, we always seem to think in, in terms of life. It'll never happen until it does. And I think these are the things that we look at. And uh, again, we're just out there to protect the consumer, the plumber, and make sure that we have installations that are safe.
1: Minimizing or alleviating the risks associated with these kind of aspects. Lorraine, Lorraine, what what are the requirements of the standards? What, What does the standards say about the discharge and the positioning thereof and making it safe?
0: Okay, um, so in terms of sans uh 5.2 discharge from the valves. Um, it goes into quite a bit of detail. So part A says uh, to be, be sized not less than the size of the connection to which they fitted with due to consideration of the fact that the maximum length run is 4 meters and runs, for, and runs that exceed 4 meters. The size shall be increased over the whole length to a maximum of 9 meters. Um, and what that means to the guys is that if your discharge pipe is dist- not discharging safely… Within that four meters, you need to upsize to nine meters. And what we find also in terms of this is that the guys just dischar- they ink they upsize from where the four meter ends, then they upsize to twenty eight. Where is that you need to upsize the whole length. So um, and then we, we get the, the 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 question from the plumber saying, well you know the T P discharge is twenty two mil. And, like we understand that um, that is why you put in a hundred mil of twenty two, you put in a, a reducer from twenty two to twenty eight, and the rest of your run is twenty eight. 28 millimeters um, and the standards on that are it's very clear you it's not the from halfway then we carry on from the from the beginning only 100 mils of 22 and then the rest of the run is nine meters and not exceeding nine meters because if your discharge is discharging longer than nine meters then you don't have a rational design there's something wrong there and that's what the guys need to take in, into consideration and to and to really um, understand. And this has been here. This has been here for a very long time, from 2012. And the guys, it's not a new rule. It's not a rule that we just thought of. It's the SAN standards are very clear. Like I'm I'm referencing here 5.2a. That's where it's dated. Um, in terms of 5.2b. Um, there are three or fewer bends for each additional bend. The maximum drain pipe length shall be reduced by 600 millimeters. Um, all bends shall be a maximum of 45-degree bends, as uh, Mahin stated in our previous uh, session, um, or formed with a centerline radius of at least five times the diameter of the drain pipe. Um, so it's very clear. It states it right there. 45-degree bends, if you're going to use more than three bends, for every extra bend, 600 mils must be um, reduce from your pipe length. So you need to k- take all those calculations in- into consideration. And like Steve was saying, you know, the discharge, and this is the the one area um, that is for me is one of the most critical areas is discharging of that discharge pipe because you never know when you've got the dud or you don't know when um, it might be that your one is the one that causes damage to property or causes damage to uh, to, to the one of the to the consumer. And that is why you need to make sure. And like the one audit that I had, you know, the pipe was sticking straight out of the wall. So if you were walking past, it would have scalded you. Instead of just taking it and turning it downwards, which would have been a totally different, a, a totally different scenario, and that's just a that's a simple thing. And the guys don't take that into consideration. It's out of the it's out of it's out of the way, or you've got situations where you've got um, discharges, and I know my head and Steve will, will you know, agree with me is that you find that it's dischar- discharging of a bath. So you imagine you're having a bath and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden the TP discharges over yeah. your head.
3: You are literally around the
1: water, yeah. Yes. you're already in hot water,
0: yes, so now you're in double hot water, so you've got a. <laughs> so you've got the super heat coming from the top, and you've got your hot water there, and you know the, the guys need to take and understandably really there's situations where it's body corporate and all of that, but you need to have the the risks need to be. Um, addressed with the client, they need to be addressed with the body corporate. That if this happens, this is, could, could be the result in it. And a lot of the guys are not taking that into consideration. For them, it's it's ne- it'll never happen to us. Uh, Mahend, do you want to jump in?
3: You know I, when you're talking about putting your hands about what,
2: what uh, I was audited last week uh, at a, at a convent in a school, and um, you know I was I was forced to to divulge information to the. To the sister who was watching the audit because she wouldn't leave and she wanted to know if everything was okay and because of the COVID she wouldn't she wanted me to be supervised by somebody from them watching what we're doing and that I'm not getting to contact anybody and on the audit I found that the plumber had put the TP valve discharge pipe just above a stainless steel wash trough and uh, and then I was making my notes and she asked is it okay and I'm like oh of course my audit is between the plumber and myself. But I, I had to. I, I had no choice but to say, ma'am, this stuff will have to be changed because if it discharges, it's going to be unsafe. It could de- somebody could get burned, so I'm just going to ask the plumber to come and move this. And when, when you just explain a little bit to the customer, seeing the expression on their face, I mean, that should have been the plumber's job, and again, we've gone to the non-compliance again, there was nowhere else you could put it, but that's not the safest place to put it. And if the customer gets to know what the consequence of that is, I don't think anyone will will, will, will be able to, or will not say fix it because it's, it's 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 dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous. I mean, it's just I I, I can't find words. It's not acceptable to, to 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 not comply with the TP valve standards in terms of it being safe.
3: Yeah. So I think it goes back. Sorry, Willem, It goes back to. You know, sometimes it, it just goes, and I keep saying that logic, and you know, and, uh, and applying the principles of what's there. And I think, you know, IOPS and PIRB have done so much in terms of of creating awareness to the plumbers in terms of the consequences of these things. And 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 there should really be no reason for the plumber not to be able to explain that. And and you know, we talked about soft skills before and how you do that. And, you know, how do you say to the client when he says to you, well, it's been like that since forever and ever, you know, you just want to make money out of me. But, you know, again, it's not about the money and, yes, it's great to have that and if they're going to amend it and change it, but it's to protect yourself and protect that individual. Uh, we've seen, I think, uh, one of our compliance auditors down the South Cape, you know, discharges into a shower. You know, again, you're in a confined space, you know, that you can't get out in the event of it going. We've seen them above wash up. We've seen them in some weird and wonderful places. And, uh, again, not noted or not identified or given to the homeowner, and like my hen says, when you do have that discussion with them and now now understand the consequences of the decision that they may have made at the time, uh, and then they revert back to that to say, well, I thought the plumber was talking rubbish, but um, clearly I need to have this fixed. And I think uh, it's just for us to up our soft skills, uh, apply the principles of, of compliance, and then if we can't make it compliant, Let's get it safe, you know, that if it does discharge, you know, it's not going to cause harm to personal
0: property. Uh, and just another thing I want to add is that also th- we don't explain to the clients that from time to time water or, or might come out of these um, these discharge pipes. And what happens is that uh, the client sees this water dripping out of a discharge pipe, whether it's expansion relief or it's a safety uh, safety valve pipe, and they block it. So they come and they call a guy and they say to him, this thing is dripping. Um, and the guy who doesn't know, who could be a handyman or whatever it is, he's not a he's not a licensed plumber, comes in and says, no, he's not supposed to do this. Let me let me block it off. And the consequences of that, also not educating the client and saying this pipe must not be blocked off. It needs to stay free and clear, and make sure that no nothing there's no foreign object in it, because if that plug if that pipe blocks, it'll you know the 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 extreme version of that, that they explode. And that's what happened on two occasions is that there was a hundred it was a hundred um, KPA geyser, right, Steve? And it took out it took out the front of a block of flats. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it took out the front of the block of flats. That's that was only a hundred KPA. I'm not talking about a four hundred or six hundred KPA geyser.
1: You know, that so, can take a person's life. Yes.
0: And luckily no one was home. But the fact of the matter is that I think also we need to educate the client and understand that this it's from time to time, not all the time, but if there is if it's happening all the time, then also there is a problem and you need to call a plumber. Call a licensed plumber. I think we need to reiterate to consumers because they know why the, the the components are doing what they're doing.
1: Exactly. The fact is that the consumer does not have this knowledge, and the plumber who does the work does. So whether it's 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 doing something incorrectly and not complying to standards himself the him or herself the plumber, or whether they notice a non-compliance that was done by a previous plumber you know they have to inform the consumer because they know about the risks they know how it should be and they know what risks are associated with these aspects and of non-compliance and, and 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 for that reason i think you know it's again taking ownership and the fact that you're the plumber you're the person with the knowledge and just inform the consumer accordingly yes
3: yeah, I think, Willem, what we've also seen is, you know, discharging in places like you see there over doors or whatever. But we've also seen, you know, the plumber who's decided to, okay, well, we'll make it safe by taking into a... A waste pipe, for example, or a 110 millimeter stack, or whatever the case may be, and it's, and it's PVC. And I remember, you know, possibly about a year ago, where it actually happened in Bolito when the geyser discharged. You know, the, the the actual material couldn't take the the, the, the water, and it, it just destroyed all of the pipe work, which is now wastewater and everything else, and corridors, and and the damage was 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 horrendous. So again, it, it's looking at things from a logical point of view. And saying, you know, what is the best plan for this? You know, how do we look at it? And sometimes the easiest might not be that the right one. But I think sometimes we, the plumbers tend to go, it'll be just easy to put it in the shower. It'll, you know, it won't ever happen above the bath or whatever. But we need to realize that there have been people that have been killed. Uh, There have been children that have been killed with this, we've had, you know, serious damage to structures and and, and buildings because of this, and we've had geysers explode, you know, and destroy buildings, And, and these are documented, you know, I think last year we had three you know, which has been quite high in terms of that. You would expect with the amount of exposure going out there and everything that, that would, people would start taking cognizance of this. But it's it's something that we cannot rest on our laurels. We, we've got to make sure that whatever we do, we professionals, we need to do our job directly and, and ensure the safety of the consumer. You don't want to get on the wrong side of the Occupational Health and Safety Act and have Department of Labor on your case because you just decided that you've only got one bend and it would be better to go there or whatever. And again, uh, you know, would you put your own children or house or pets or whatever at risk, we've seen them at teepees at creches where the plumbers put the, the teepee and the geyser on the wall at floor level. And and because the rotation of the teepee valve with no pump on it, they can turn it around, you know, 360 degrees. So all of these risks we, we don't take into consideration in terms of, of the building and where we are, you know, and and who is in there, what is in that surrounding places. I've seen some where you've got to walk underneath the geyser and the teepee is at, at, at head height, you know. So it is a massive challenge, you know, in terms of understanding and applying that real safety logic principle of what is a safe installation.
1: Steve, I, I absolutely and I and, and you know you've reiterated in, in the previous part of the conversation and in this part of the conversation, uh, you know the second part, yeah, it's been reiterated a couple of times that you know the standards and the requirements of the standards are there and they're clear and they're there for a specific reason and 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 they're there to you know to minimize risk. Just before we continue the conversation, it's time to hit the brakes again.
0: Don't forget to download the all-new and improved App Plumber from the Google Play Store. All your plumbing solutions are just a click away, exclusively for Android users.
1: Welcome back. To continue our discussion, I would like to ask the following question. Mahin: can you tell me a little bit more of what the standard requirements are for, for earthing and bonding? And and what kind of commonly made mistakes and common uh, non-compliances do auditors find in that regard?
2: Yeah, sure, uh, William. I think in in, in in starting, I would like to just make it clear, I think we all have a misconception when it comes to the electrical side of the Giza installation. And I'm just going to read a few notes in terms of what the standards and what the requirements clearly state, so we can elaborate on that further. And my first one would be that SANS 10254, Clause 4.4, requires that the electrical installation must comply with the wiring requirements as per sans 10142-1. And also we need to to, to, to understand that when a plumber signs a COC declaring that the geyser was installed, maintained in compliance with Sans 10254. I'm going to stop there by saying that SANS 10254 says that we need that the plumber needs to ensure that it that it complies with 1014-1, which is sorry, one which is an electrical so, as, as plumbers, what we tend to do is say that the electrical work is the electrician's problem. Yes, uh, the standards clearly say that it needs to be done to, to comply with, with SAM 101.42-1, which is an electrical standard. But 102.54 is very clear when it states that it includes the compliance with electrical installation. As such, the plumber is accountable and responsible to ensure that it complies. Simply meaning that if if a plumber installs a GISA and and the electrical work is done, and he signs the COC saying that everything is compliant. As an auditor, I'm going to audit that and, and visibly inspect that the electrical installation that's done there complies. So in, there is, um, I, I think the TAC, or oh, there was a, a little resolution in terms of, 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 of the different um, acceptance in terms of bonding and earthing of a geyser. And I think we, it was stated that if a bonding strap was used and fastened that would galvanize bolts, for example, it will not be regarded as non compliance. So, in terms of uh, if pipes of bonded using electrical, it needs to be with at least 2.5 square millimeter cable. And that will be regarded as compliant, provided it is fastened with mechanical fasteners to the pipework. No, this is, um, and, and if that we we'll say mechanical fasteners, what is what we're looking at for there is If a pipe is twisted onto the pipe, then that will be an immediate fail. It's not going to be, it's not a mechanical fastener used. It's just twisted on it. That that will be a fail. I'm going to read one more. If in order to identify any failure with regard to the bonding, the auditor can provide the requirements in the standard, which which we, which is what we always do, is we go back to the standard and say we are auditing to the standard. And one o two five four again clearly makes reference that the. To the electrical standard in terms of 10142 1, and ends by saying that it is, if you issue a compliance certificate, it is assumed, or sorry, not assumed, it should be that electrical must also comply. Hence, the plumber will fail an audit if the electrical is found not to comply. In this case, mostly our, earthing, our in most cases, the earthing and the bonding is much visibly visible for you to inspect.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, Mahan, you covered it quite well there in terms of where it is. And, again, we need to emphasise the fact that, as Mahan said earlier, you know, electrical is electrical and plumbing is plumbing. You know, circumstances create a scenario where we can't get two on site. But the the standards apply, you know, and it's very clear in terms of, of who's responsible for what. And if the plumber has outsourced that electrical work or whoever it is that's done, um from an order's point of view, we're really not interested in terms of who, what, we want and why. If it's been done incorrectly, um, and in, in terms of what is requirements here, yeah, and we see it all too often, um, where some earthing and bonding hasn't been done and it hasn't been done correctly. But the standards are very clear that the responsibility lies in terms of you, the plumber, if you issue that COC, is to make sure that the electrical work has been done correctly. And again, to emphasize that the standards are clear in terms of who can do what. You know, uh, yes, you know, because we can connect up three wires together and, and do it, um, doesn't bring it into what the compliance is with regards to who that responsible person is that can do it. But certainly uh, one of those key areas that, that we come up with, and uh, we've seen it, where the geezer has been repositioned outside, the plumbers connected it up, uh, issued the COC, and the plumbers come, oh, sorry, the electricians come two to three days later. But again, it's just to note that, that you know, you haven't done it, it was outside your scope of works and uh, you, you note it, um, and very clear. We've seen some um, plumbers that have bonded, but on a painted surface. You know, they haven't actually taken the paint off to get proper contact, you know. So all of these little things that we come up is just to try and make sure that it's done. And we see some weird and wonderful things, as Mahan said, twisting of wires, soldering of wires, all different types of things. But, the, the, you know, the documentation is quite clear in terms of it must be mechanical fittings and it must be done in the correct manner.
1: So, Steve, both yourself and uh, Mahin have touched on, uh, or you've mentioned COC uh, repetitively, uh, certificate of compliance. Uh, on the list that I've got in front of me of commonly made mistakes or things that plumbers do not do, for that matter, uh, one of those areas is not issuing the COC uh, to the consumer. And, and together with that, not issuing a, a detailed non compliance notice to the consumer. Is that correct? That, that's one of the, the commonly made mistakes or the commonly things that the plumbers do not do?
3: Yeah, when I say a commonly really made mistake, so, you know, we've got to remember that a large portion of the, the Giza installations that are done um, are done through the insurance sector. You know, so uh, sometimes we find that the, the plumbers actually send it to the insurer, you know. And, um, you know, the standards are clear in terms of who you must issue to that to. It's the owner-user, you know, in terms of, of the requirements of the COC and the non-compliance notice. So some challenges that we have is when the compliance auditor gets to the site, it's obviously been submitted, it's been done because it's obviously been audited, and uh, we get to the site and one of the questions that the auditors are required to ask is did you receive a copy of the COC? And uh, if the answer to that is uh, yes, then the next question is, uh, did you also receive any, you know, uh, details of non-compliance? And a large majority of the installation that we go to, and bearing in mind it becomes a challenge because sometimes the plumber's given it to the husband, but today we're talking to the wife and the wife's not sure – But uh, we we get across that it hasn't been, and when you speak to the plumber, um, it was sent to the insurer, and from there it's sitting with them. They're quite entitled to their copy, but the client is not aware of the the certificate uh, in terms of it being issued to them. So, again, we would follow up with the plumber to ensure that uh, the client does get a copy of it. And then not issuing a detailed non-compliance notice uh, is another issue that comes up because, obviously, um, we're in the roof space and, and you know we see items that maybe should have been detailed in terms of non-compliance and there's no notes of it um, in terms of uh, uh, making the client aware. And again, if we go back to what the standards state, um, the standards state that we, we don't have to fix everything. The work that we're doing, certainly we're going to do in a compliant manner because we're issuing a certificate that says that the work that we have done um, is compliant But we also required to advise the consumer of any other pre-existing non-compliant items out there. It says there very clearly in terms of how that needs to be done. And that covers, you know, a multitude of sins. And again, we find that uh, some plumbers have been really exceptional. And I think that they've really gone and done a detailed one. And then we get others that, um, yeah, it's one or two little sentences that they put together or, or thought of, maybe have four items and there might be 10 items of non-compliance. And that becomes a challenge because now how does the plumber now go back to, to Mrs. Uh, uh, Jones and say, well... I did tell you about these three things, but um, I should have also told you about these other five. That becomes a problem, you know, because the client would either one, you not looking too clever as a plumber, because uh, you should have advised them of that before, and then sometimes you get the consumer that says, "Well, you told me I was going to get a compliant installation, and clearly not. You must rectify these things at your cost." So it does become a challenge. We also have some contractors that have designed their own non-compliance notices. And those ones, um, we had a, I think uh, we had a Free State meeting and we had one of our our Jovi meetings where we asked uh, the contractors uh, in terms of what do you use or are you aware of the IOPS and non-compliance notice that's been designed to protect you. It's covered everything. And a large percentage of the individuals that were in those two workshops we're not using it. They were using their own. And uh, quite a few items that should be covered in terms of non-compliance w- are not detailed in terms of theirs. So, again, they're putting themselves at risk. So, it's very clear in terms of the, uh, the standards, you must issue the COC and the non-compliance notices there. And um, when it goes to that explanation, it must be in plain English. You know, it must be. I think the words that they use in terms of the Consumer Protection Act is that um, the average person must be able to understand it. And I think they go so far as to say you cannot take the rights away from an individual being the consumer by using uh, plummer tech speak. It, it needs to be in plain English. So that is one that certainly does become a challenge for us. So they
1: have they have to be in mind in, in mind that the consumer doesn't necessarily understand the plumbing jargon.
3: Hundred, um, yeah. Know. So if you put a TP for example, you know, they would seem to think that it's something the Red Indians did in North America. And I, I think we need to get down to the brass bolts, you know, because by saying to them, and I, again uh, you know, my hen, myself, Harry, and Steve Fonsal, uh, and Lorraine, we, we we work together in terms of that explanation because it is a requirement that we explain to them in plain English in terms of what those risks are. And we do find the client where they say, you know, TP, you know, not connected. I mean, what would they know is that? So, so we have put some documentation together for that explanation so that the plumber is covered. But um, like Mahan was saying earlier, if you explain to that client in detail, as he just said earlier, um, in terms of the consequences of, of actually not doing it in the right way, They look at it and go, it's a no-brainer. You know, we have to get it fixed. Uh, But it's a lot easier to do that before rather than after because if you're doing it afterwards as a, well, guess what? The auditor was here and uh, he's brought this to my attention and I should have told you this. Your credibility as a professional has gone flying out the window in terms of that consumer because uh, when you now tell her how much of a risk it would be to her, um, how would we feel? you know, if we had, you know, our brakes failed and had just been at the mechanic the day before but it's yeah they're not too bad and you just hit a pole, you know, um, we wouldn't feel too good about that uh, Mr. Mechanic. So, we've got a huge responsibility and I think we, we sometimes take plumbing for granted in terms of um, the consequences, the damage, and how important it is to do good plumbing.
1: Absolutely, and and, and clearly, you know, um, as you've stated, there are industry uh, documentation that can be used and, and and there's clearly a very big advantage to both the consumer and the plumber to use the industry uh, documentation uh, to, for, for, you know, a, for the COCs and the non-compliances for that matter.
3: Without a doubt. I think you know, we, we, we are the professionals. You know, and I think we, we ourselves as plumbers put ourselves in that position when we get the DSTV guy out or the electrician or the, the mechanic, whoever we engage with. We expect that individual to, uh, as a professional to deliver us what it is that we need. Sometimes they tell us stuff that we don't want to hear, but, you know, we've got to hear it anyway, you know, because the reality is uh, they're professionals. Now, they, as soon as we start promoting ourselves in that manner, by, by being honest up front and telling people how bad an installation they have, let's not sugarcoat, you know, safety. Let's not sugarcoat, you know, somebody being put in a position that they could be scolded or burnt or damaged your property. Let's let's just have that real conversation and base it on the facts that's there. IOPS and PIRB, as I say, have been phenomenal in terms of providing that information, uh, in terms of being able to advise the consumer in the correct manner and show them the risks. And if they choose to not do it, that's great. You just note it on your compliance certificate And then the risk moves, and I think this is what we don't understand, is that the risk now moves from you and the responsibility now lies with the homeowner. They have made that decision and you are covered. So in the event of something having a go at you through the Consumer Protection Act or through manpower, whatever, if you've documented yourself and covered yourself in the correct format, you are now absolved of any responsibility for that installation. It's when you don't do it. That and something does happen, and it could be a year later. I had one last week where the geezer fell off the wall a year after the plumber put it in there, but he had worked on it and something else, but again, not advising the consumer of hollow block walls or other sort of risks. So he's paying for that whole installation to be redone again. Why do that when just by the stroke of a pen and taking five minutes to have a conversation? That they make an informed
1: decision. Absolutely, because you're the professional, like you said, Steve. And speaking of prof- being professional and the professional, um, one of the the other items or aspects listed on this uh, commonly made mistakes um, or common common faults found by auditors, Lorraine, is is. Plumbers working on on specializations for which they do not have necessarily have the designation for, or not adequately qualified for, such as uh, solar installations or heat pump systems, for that matter. Is is that correct?
0: Uh, yes, Willem. This one is. You know, it's it's a constant. It's throughout the country. So, what happens that uh, as a licensed plumber, you have there are specializations. So you've got your solar and heat pump. Just because you're a licensed plumber doesn't mean that you are, you, you can work on those um, installations without those specializations. Um, and I, I mean, I always used to I compare it to a doctor who's an anaesthetist or he's a, whatever, pediatric or cardiac or cardiac surgeon. If you are a cardiologist and um, you, well, you're going to work on a heart, you have to be a cardiologist. You can't just be a, you know, a normal doctor, you know, just GP. And that's what we we say about these, these specializations. And, um, they, it's imperative because a solar system and a heat pump system. There's a two. To, it's a totally diff, removed from your regular just electric system, and what happens is that the, a lot of the guys, you know, they they go into a situation where it was um, it's a it's an insurance job, and they don't and they don't take into the fact that I'm I'm taking out a tank and I'm putting in another tank, but that tank is attached to a solar system, and you've got and to them it's you know it's it's I took out a tank. It, to them, it's not the fact that I'm working on a system. And that's what you need to take cognizant of your mind is that you're working on a system. And that is an immediate fail. If you do not have a designation for solar or heat pump, we as an auditor, we immediately fail you. There's no ifs or buts about it. And also, there's a repercussion. You get suspended um, because you've worked on something that you were not supposed to work on. And in this day and age with... with um, what has being put in place with a different i mean with the courses and the and the way to get your designation no no one's got an excuse to do it um ops has put a, a, um, a thing has put a program together with the fact that you will write a designation exam and you will have a designation as long as you've done the courses you've done heat pump or solar you're able to get your designation through that process uh, so i to for me it's always flabbergasting as to why um, people don't have, why plumbers don't have designations like solar and heat pump, but these are some things that we work on, not constantly for some people, but it's you might come across it and you might come across it working on your one of your insurance jobs. Um, I had the one that I did at a at a house here with like five million rand house, and um, this guy had worked on this the solar system and it was it was a disaster, and the thing the fact of the matter is that he can't go back and rectify because he doesn't know what he needs to rectify. Yeah.
1: Um, he's not adequately qualified for yes, this job yes you
0: can't so <laughs> now the client is sitting there you know you sent me out this plumber who plumber doesn't know what he's doing and then it just opens a whole other kettle of fish and so the, the main thing for me for the whole solar and heat pump is that guys need to upskill themselves and they need to get the designations um that plain, that simple I, I really don't think there's an excuse for you not to have those designations in 2020 um, a couple of years ago, it would have been a different story, but in 2020, you've got no excuse for it. And it's so important because um, if you don't understand how a system works and how uh, certain things affect it, you can't effectively – you can't fix it, you can't you can't install it. And that is what I think the plumbers need to get through their minds. And also the consumer – understandably, they, 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 we're getting into a thing where we're trying to get the consumer to understand that if a guy's going to work on your solar system, you need to ask him – are you qualified to work on the solar system? I get that you're a plumber, but are you qualified to work on the solar system? And uh, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that we've got our cards have got our specializations on the back that state that I can work my specializations are solar and heat pump, and those are those are things that are imperative as a professional. If you want to play, if you're going to work in that space, you've got to make sure that you've equipped yourself with that, with those tools. Um, in my hand, Steve. Do you wanna jump in?
2: Yeah, sorry, uh, I think I'm going to go back to Steve's previous comment about the non-compliance. So, And you mentioned just now that if you go to an audit and the guy hasn't got the designation, it's an immediate fail. Uh, And and the plumber normally would argue and say, but I only changed the tank. And then you find a whole list of stuff that's non-compliant when you do the audit. And how is the plumber going to issue a non-compliance notice, number one, not not knowing what's non-compliant because he hasn't got the designation? And also you also touched on the fact that after he fails, he now can't even attempt the refix because he's not competent to uh, to, have, to do the refix. So for us, or for me, it's also like having one is failed because you can have a designation. Now you've got an installation that's gonna, gonna gonna hang on to someone that doesn't know how to install, or you can't send him back to to re, to, to do his refixes, and neither can he even issue a non-compliance notice because he's not competent to do that either. So that's where the bigger problems come in play is when when you have we've got a client that's got a solar system where the plumber doesn't understand how the technology works and you can't even report on it, neither can, you, neither can you rectify it. That just opens up a whole lot of problems for both him, the auditor, and the industry, I think, as a well, whole, and the client. Yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah, 100%.
0: And then also there's another thing that we find is that with, uh, with new builds is that the guy is that you've installed the tank and then they'll get somebody else to install the panel. Um, or to, to install the system so then you but you need to note that and say that i only did to this point because we get there we because you've written out the coc we we are auditing the whole thing we're not auditing that you telling me that i did that that is why it's so imperative on your coc if that's that is going to happen that you only installed the the tank then state that i only installed this and somebody else is going to was somebody else installed the panels or whatever it was and, and all the heat pump system. And that's what that's another thing that the guys need to take uh, extra time to do is just to make sure that your, your COCs are as detailed as possible because it just might be that's the one that gets audited. Steve?
3: Yeah, I, and I think it, it goes very clear that, you know, again, we've seen it where some, you know, plumbers have ticked all the boxes. You know, it's almost like they've done everything, but they haven't been very specific in terms of, I only brought the piping there. There should have been an additional C.O.C. issued by you know Joe Bloggs Plumbing for the solar. Uh, but I agree with you in terms of Lorraine and 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 my end. You know where we see this, and and again as a professional plumber, can you imagine now having I mean, to go back to the client to say, well, I'm sending my opposition, you know, to come rectify this installation because I don't have it. Um, yeah, don't, just don't put yourself in that position. You know. Go in and upskill yourselves, you know, because by doing that, and I know with my dealings with the insurance companies, is that they want a one-stop plumber. You know, they don't want to have to ask you a question if you've got heat pump or solar or whatever it is, you know. They want to be able to give you a service call, send you out there, and not to be put in a position where uh, we have to send it to Joe because, uh, you know, Steve uh, hasn't got solar or he hasn't got heat pump. And don't put yourself at risk. There's no reason, as you said earlier, Lorraine, and we keep saying this, has this been 10 years ago? We'd go, yes, there's a problem. But IOPS and PIRB have been very proactive in terms of trying to get the designation. Remember, it's a designation. It's not a qualification. But it's a designation in terms of allowing you uh, to conduct the solar and the, the, the heat pumps uh, based on your the attendance of the courses and completing the assessments and then also being audited on the work that you're doing. So,
1: yeah. Just before we continue the conversation, it's time to hit the brakes again.
0: Plumber training has never been easier with Articulated Plumber courses. Enroll now to upskill yourself at your own pace and earn CPD points. Our informative and easy-to-follow courses can be found
1: on iopsatraining.co.za. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Articulated Plumber. Welcome back. Um, we're speaking of of uh, you know not putting uh, a plumber not putting themselves at risk uh, when they are issuing COCs and, and signing off COCs on on plumbing work done, uh, but we're simultaneously also speaking of uh, designations, specializations, and and being adequately qualified for the job that you're doing. But what is the concern, Mahin, regarding uh, a supervision? And, and, and we know that a licensed plumber and only licensed plumbers can sign off COCs or issue COCs. But what if a, a another plumber's work is being supervised by this licensed and qualified plumber who has the correct designations, and he then needs to sign it off? What if he, you know, or he or she, that plumber, for that matter, um, before signing that off, he does a desktop sort of analysis of the the work that was done, and there wasn't sort of adequate supervision. Um, he hasn't properly or, or, or checked on the work that has been done but then signs of that COC is that a concern is there is there is there a concern in that regard is it something that is commonly found
2: most definitely well I think um, on this particular one we uh, my my focus would be on in terms of business owners that are issuing the COCs on behalf of the work carried out by their staff what's well, called a desktop audit so sorry a desktop issue of the COC where they would go out the plumber will go out, and do the installation, and send to his office the photos of the installation. And based on what the, the licensed plumber sees, he'll do a desktop analysis and issue the compliance certificate based on the photos that he's received. What we find is that when we do these audits, we're auditing the the, the guy, the person who issued that COC, and not the plumber who has actually done, done the job. And when we when go out there, we find all the non-compliances. And then we look at the, the COC itself and, and realize that there's, there's not much listing of, the, of of what the previous non-compliances were and that the job actually is a fail, but the, but the compliance has been issued. And we find in most cases that what we do is, after we do an audit, we obviously do a thorough inspection of the installation and send through the photos of what we find non-compliant or the fails to the, to the plumber. And being the business owner, when he receives these, he would realize, hang on a I've never seen these photos before. It's because the plumber that's doing the installation, you know, forgets or neglects to to, to, to submit enough uh, proof or photos of the installation in order for the desktop analysis to be adequately, uh, you know, enough information to be put on on the C O C in order for that to be accepted. And that, that's basically most of the time. Even I mean, when the plumbers also when they go out doing installation, they don't do a thorough inspection of what they've done. You they know, they remove and replace the visa for insurance purposes. They fail to go out and inspect what what the non-compliances are, and when they when, even then, when they go back to the officers now they're issuing the compliance, and they are also relying on on the photos that they have in front of them and what they've only done, they haven't taken the time to like, actually maybe like take the non-compliance form, for example, and fill it out details so in order for them to be able to assist them when they when they issue the actual compliance certificate. So in most cases. When we find that the, the, the plumber has failed, for example, it's simple stuff that he doesn't need to go back and do. It's merely a noting of a non-compliance and advising the client uh, just uh, allows him not to go back to the site. But if he hasn't noted the non-compliance form and he hasn't uh, like advised the client, then he's got to go back now, and he's got to go back, and as Steve said earlier on, about the uncomfortable situation between the plumber auditor and the client uh, creating the plumber. I mean, how, how good is he for his job? If he has to come back, or if he, if he hasn't advised me, now he's re advising me, or something like that he should have advised me in the first place. So these are the problems that cu- commonly come up when we're doing, when, when when desktop analysis have been done and the COC being
3: issued. I think, Willem, the other one that we also have found, and, and you might find it quite that it, it, it certainly shouldn't happen or doesn't happen. But we've gone to, to do some audits and the client will say, but this is the fourth time you guys have been here or somebody's been here. You know, how bad is this Giza installation? So when you start unpacking that, you find that, um, you know, obviously there was the original, you know, assessment. And then you have the Giza installation, which is your second call. And then when it comes up for an audit, you know, the licensed plumber maybe says, well, look, let me pop out, and go and see our, uh, good disinstallationist and he gets to site and then he does a few things then he sends his guy out there to go and rectify the things that he's now picked up and then the next day or two days later we got the auditor and the plumber on site again and I mean that in itself is, is very unprofessional and uh, again you cannot we all have a good side and a bad side when you have photos taken and and, and again sometimes the information has been supplied Let's be honest. Let's not blame the installer the whole time. The, the information has been supplied, but the licensed plumber just hasn't done due diligence by actually going to go and check it. I mean, I don't like always blaming the installer. You know, he's done his job, and uh, we, we have it. Where you actually phone and, and, and the guy goes, yeah, well, I didn't have the time, or I had to get the information, or whatever. All those excuses. But it is something that you put yourself at, at great risk if um, you know, you're know you going to do this type of desktop analysis. And again, for me, what is the solution? Get your guys qualified. Get them to a point of where they can be licensed and and and, and take on that responsibility for you. There's a lot of companies that have done that um, where they install it. They've, they've brought him up to a point of where he's now licensed and he can sign those COCs and take responsibility for the work that he does. But certainly,
1: yes, it is a problem. So, speaking of issuing COCs um, and taking responsibility therefore, and 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 the consequences of, of, of things that can go wrong with COCs having been issued, Steve, um, do plumbers sometimes issue COCs for the sale of property? And is that is that is that you know is that an incorrect thing to do? Or is it a, can they do that? Is it allowed, or should they rather not do that? Is that is that something that is also a concern?
3: So, Willem, yeah, I mean, it stems from Cape Town, you know, down in the wonderful Cape. They have what they call a Schedule 4 certificate, and that is issued on the sale of a property. And it's actually issued by the City of Cape Town. Um, so any plumber that is licensed or registered with the City of Cape Town is entitled to issue the Schedule 4 um certificate of compliance on the sale of a property. And it's it's not a very, very intensive sort of certificate. It's got I think five or six items that it just ticks and boxes on. So again in, in the Cape it's 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 a requirement in terms of the sale of a property. What we see now is it coming into the South Cape and we've seen it going through you know other areas where people obviously understand that that plumbing is uh is a huge cost you know, if something goes wrong. So, um, you, you know, it's becoming more and more to the fore. But let me reiterate by saying the current PIRB COC that is available now was not designed for the sale of a property. And, and one of the risks that come with that, and, and we've seen this uh, on numerous occasions where the plumber goes in and the client wants a certificate of compliance, and it's on a property that's 20 years old, you know, so they might go in and do one or two things, and then they issue the certificate, and uh, it goes through the conveyancy attorneys and everything else, and it's all there, it's a legal document. And then uh, when the compliance auditor goes to site and he starts going through it uh, in a very detailed manner because he's ticked water, he's ticked uh, hot water, he's ticked stormwater, drainage, whatever. And then we start finding these non-compliance items, which can have huge negative ramifications because we've got to remember we could now got a house that's uh, maybe more than a million rand, whatever it is. No matter what the value of the house is, there's now work that needs to be done. And uh, if the new owner, as we've had before, where the new owner has got a certificate that states all the plumbing is correct, and then the audit's conducted, and now you've got all this work that needs to be rectified, um, it becomes a huge challenge. It, it really is. Um, IOPS and PIRB are working on, on a document, okay, in terms of the sale of the property. Um, and again, what we currently have at the moment is a checklist. So again, that checklist is quite intensive. Uh, it's on the IOPS, uh, uh, I think it's called the Plumber Shop. It's on the Plumber Shop. You can download it. But it's you know what it is now is an inspection document that you can use to go through. And you would go and check all of those boxes and uh, you'd be able to put a report together from that. And then if you were required to do it, you would have a document that you can reference back to. But again, it it was this COC that we're currently talking about now was not designed to do that. Uh, But we have uh, been working on it for quite a while. It's in its final stages. I think we're waiting for the, um, the final tick. Uh, to the box that will be able to equip the plumber with it. But it is becoming more and more relevant, and that's why we're looking at it in terms of people. as We know we need an electrical and we need a, a, a borer certificate in terms of the sale of property, and more people are asking for it. More people are actually saying, well, what is the state of my plumbing uh, you know, in terms of this property and therefore asking for it? But plumbers have got themselves into trouble by issuing the current COC uh, where they haven't gone through and detailed all the information and, and really you can't in terms of that current COC to go and list all the defects and everything else on that property. And from the Schedule 4 in Cape Town where we also get a lot of complaints is that it only covers four items but you know the, the perception of the homeowner is that the certificate covers all the plumbing and, and it certainly doesn't. So there are some certain challenges in terms of that. So hopefully in 2021 uh, we'll be able to tick it off and there will be another avenue for the plumbers to, to be able to, to issue this on the requirements of uh, a consumer wanting a, a report in terms of the plumbing.
1: Just before we say goodbye, it's time to hit the brakes one last time. Like to encourage our audience to follow Articulated Plumber on Instagram and Facebook, not only to find out more about the Man in the band podcast, but also to learn more about any exciting and interesting news that we may have. Our handle on both Instagram and Facebook is Articulated Plumber. Steve, Lorraine, and Mahin, Um I think that concludes uh, the second part of this discussion, and uh, I think that the list. Of commonly found mistakes that uh, you know, or repeated mistakes that plumbers make, and and commonly found fails and non-compliances that auditors find during audits can continue, um, but I think that we've addressed quite a few, um, and and I certainly think that it's uh, some of the most uh, important ones that that we've addressed in these two, uh, in this two-part conversation that we've had. Are there any last words or final statements that you would like, or any one of you would like to make to the audience out there, Lorraine?
0: I think the the most prevalent uh, the most important thing is that um, what we'd really like to see is that next next time we have the same conversation that we're not discussing the same things um, we have like uh, Steve said is that this is a common um, it's a common problem throughout the country um, it doesn't matter where you audit, to what corner of the country you ordered these are the common things that we find as auditors and we'd really like to see that these are boxed away and the guys really take um cognizant of the fact that this is important, this is their job, they are professionals and they need to conduct themselves as such. They need to understand the importance of issuing and the, what, the legal liability as a licensed plumber issuing a, a certificate of compliance and also the privilege of being able to issue a certificate of compliance and, um, and also understanding that the non-compliance notice does not mean that you're the one, who, you've done a bad job. It just means that you are informing the client, the consumer, that they have certain problems and they've got certain issues and they need to address them, and once that is done, that also opens up another revenue stream for you because you're able to say, "I'm able to assist you to fix with securing your pipes or um, these or, or whatever it is. Uh, I'm able to," and that's another revenue stream. And I think the guys need to take that as a a way of uh, it's not, a, it's not a take it as a not a bad it's not a bad thing, but they need to take it as something that it's going to grow their businesses in some ways as well. And also, um, I just want to reiterate about the soul in the heap pump designation. Um, you really have no excuse in 2020 not to have the designation, not to have those specializations at all. Um, the guys really need to upskill themselves, and that's why continuous professional development is so important. And they really need to upskill themselves and make sure that they stay ahead of the pack. Um, thank you very much for the time, Willem. Uh, thank you to the, my fellow guests. Uh, it was a really great conversation, and I hope that the audience takes a lot
1: away from it. Steve Mahin, any last words?
2: Well, I think Lorraine said everything so nicely, and every line of thought that I was going to say, she just just said it (laughs) next. (laughs) uh, She took everything, and she put it to the end there. But um, just to have my little but I mean, I'm really in support of what she said in terms of the continuous development being one. But, I mean, we're discussing common fails, and and, and I think... uh, the reason we're discussing it is is one because it's not compliant, and we're going to go back to that. What we always keep talking about the non-compliance, and I'm almost certain that even if all these non-compliances were pre-existing and the plumber did not fix it, but merely noted it on the non-compliance form, I think we wouldn't have had this discussion. So that that non-compliance form, I think the guys for me, it's something that I sell my entire audit over, is that when the customer when the plumber asks what do I do. How do I fix this? I'll say, well, have you heard of the non compliance section of this form? Can you please use that as your way out? And for me, if it's done correctly, if the customer, plumber has done his due diligence in terms of issuing a non compliance form, uh, this, this, these common fails would be something that we won't have to discuss. That's my bit. Thanks, and thank you, Lorraine and Steve, for this excellent uh, topic and discussion. And thank you, William, for hosting. Thank you, Mahim. Steve?
3: Yeah, I think there's nothing much more that I can say other than what uh, repeating what uh, Lorraine and Mayen have said. But I think that what we also need to look at is that uh, we have seen a huge improvement in terms of the work conducted at our late last national executive and at the PIRB board. All the compliance auditors are really you know there's some real positive stuff coming out in terms of individuals that are applying the principles of the non-compliance and we can see the work and i think that it's a great team effort and, and and we are making a difference and you know i believe that this conversation that we've had over the last two is really going to, again, extend that, that improvement in terms of standards, make things very clear. So I'm excited, and I'm, I'm really proud of the whole team that we have, the effort that we have being put into this, and uh, it's just very rewarding to see things starting to change. So ending in a positive note, uh, things are happening.
1: Stephen, I think also just to retouch on what uh, Lorraine and Mahin said about uh, the constant development and upskilling of the plumbers, I think IOPS offers an an excellent platform from which they can attend courses and, 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 and complete courses. To upskill their knowledge, upskill and get themselves onto you know the designations that require designations to work on certain things and to become more qualified and specialised in certain uh, regards, become licensed to issue their own Cocs. That's the e-learning platform of iopsa. Yes. Hundred percent, Steve Mahin and Lorraine. Thank you so much for the information that you've shared. Thank you for your time in, in, in you know, coming in and having this conversation with us. I think the information shared is very valuable to the plumbers out there as well as to the consumers out there. And then, uh, of course, thank you to our audience members uh, for having tuned in and listened to this conversation. Finally, it's time to switch off this engine. Cheerio. Man
0: in the Van Podcast,
1: your regular audio drive time companion. <laughs>